like father, like son. It's one of those short little pithy sayings that expresses an amazing and sometimes wonderful truth in such a simple way. Like father, like son. You see, it expresses the truth that often the bond between father and son is so intimate that the son can't help but be like his father. My eldest son, Darius, who was up here before, uh, and I, we share this kind of bond. You see, it's a bond that's developed over the entire course of Darius's short life as we've spent time together and just lived life together. You see, we were together in his very first moments when I cut his umbilical cord. We were together when I changed his very first nappy. Since then, we've ridden bikes together, read books, sung songs, flown spaceships and fought monsters. Uh, We've been together as we've watched the number of bug splats grow on the windscreen as we've driven together. Of course, over the years, I've had to discipline him every now and then. And all the while, we've grown together. We've developed such a close bond that Darius can't help but be a bit like me. And so, like me, he's a bit shy around people he doesn't really know. Like me, he likes to read stories. He enjoys to spend time with his family. He even sometimes plays games about going off to Bible college. Like me. You see, Darius and I, we have such an intimate bond that he can't help but be a bit like me. But friends, that's nothing. That's nothing compared to the intimacy that Jesus shares with his father. As we come to the end of this second chapter of Luke, what Luke really wants us to see, what he really wants us to be amazed by and to marvel at, is the intimacy that Jesus shares with his father. And this intimacy that Jesus has with his father, it's almost bordering on blasphemous at times, and yet when we understand the truth of it, it's amazing. It's beautiful to behold. And something that Luke points out to us by relating this incident from Jesus' youth, this incident from Jesus' childhood, and it's an incident that's followed by something really surprising that Jesus says, and something a really surprising comment that Luke makes. So let's start this morning by having a look together at this incident from Jesus' boyhood. It would be great to keep your Bibles open in front of you to Luke chapter 2. And as we read this incident from Jesus' childhood, see if you can pick up the clues that Luke's left behind about who Jesus' father is. So Luke chapter 2, and we'll start again from verse 41. Every year his parents went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Uh, Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Well, I wonder if you noticed the clues. Luke makes it pretty clear here. Joseph, 
is Jesus' father. You see, in many ways, this is a continuation on from what we saw last week. There it was Joseph and Mary who did everything for their son, for Jesus, as for their firstborn son. It was Joseph and Mary who, who had him circumcised on the eighth day. It was them who fulfilled their purification rites. It, they presented him to the Lord as their firstborn son. Uh, they did everything for Jesus as for their firstborn son. And now here, it's Joseph who takes his family up to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's Joseph and Mary who realise Jesus is missing. It's Joseph and Mary who return to Jerusalem and search anxiously for three days for their son. And so at this point, it makes absolute sense to see Joseph as Jesus' father. And yet it begs the question... If Jesus had an intensely intimate relationship with Joseph as his father, why did he stay behind in Jerusalem? How did he come to be left behind while Joseph and Mary didn't even realise it and travelled on for a full day without him? Perhaps this is the first hint that something's up here. And you know, we don't have to look too far to find another hint that something fishy's going on. You see, when Joseph and Mary finally find Jesus... He's sitting in the temple, listening to the teachers, asking them questions. And verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. This kid, Jesus, knows a lot. In fact, for a 12-year-old boy, his understanding, it's unnatural. Even the teachers of the law in the temple in Jerusalem are amazed at what he's saying. These guys are like the gurus of Israel and they can't believe it. Where did he get this knowledge from? Did he get it from his father? Almost certainly. Did he get it from Joseph, a carpenter in Nazareth? Seems unlikely. Now, friends, in all of this, Luke's building up to a really surprising thing that Jesus is going to say. So let's pick up the story again from verse 48. Please read with me, verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Did you notice the surprise there? If not, perhaps it's because you didn't get it. Joseph and Mary certainly didn't. Let's read on. Why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But his parents did not understand what he was saying to them. Joseph and Mary, faithful Israelites, parents who'd done everything for their son according to the law, Israelites who went to Jerusalem every year for the Passover, they just didn't get it. In fact, chances are for them... Jesus' answer would have been offensive. Jesus' answer would have sounded obscene. You see, effectively what Jesus is saying is that he has such a close relationship with the God of the temple that he can call him Father. He's claiming to have a closer relationship with God than Israel. Israel, God's chosen people. Israel, who God called his firstborn son when he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Israel. They never dared call God Father. 
the closest they got was to use his name, Yahweh. Now, when my nephews and nieces come over to our place, they call me by my name. They call me Uncle David. Some of them call me Uncle Nugget. But my own kids don't call me that. You see, my children and I, we have a much more intimate relationship, an intimacy that allows them to call me Daddy, Father. That's the kind of relationship Jesus is claiming to have with God here. He's even claiming to have a more intimate relationship with God than David, a man after God's own heart. You see, not even King David, when God promised him that one of his sons would rule forever as God's own son, not even then did King David dare to call God Father. The closest he got was to call him Sovereign Lord. But have a look again. Jesus doesn't say, didn't you know I had to be in my Sovereign Lord's house? No. What he says is much, much more intimate than that. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, through these first two chapters, Luke's been building up this picture for us of who Jesus is. You see, first we saw he's the new and greater king, the forever king from the line of David. He's Christ the Lord a saviour who's come for both Jews and Gentiles, and now Luke wants us to see that he's got a level of relationship with God that's absolutely unheard of. It's unprecedented. And the result of all of this is that we just ought to marvel. We just ought to marvel at Jesus. Friends, Jesus has a unique and incredibly intimate relationship with God, his Father. In fact, so close is the bond between Father and Son that Jesus is absolutely compelled to submit to his Father's will. And as we'll see, this submission, it's marvellous, it's wonderful, it's good news for us. It brings great joy for all peoples. And again, it's something that ought to just leave us wondering in amazement at Jesus. Now, of course, all of this, again, it's building up to a really surprising comment that Luke's going to make. Let's continue the story in verse 51. Verse 51. Then he, that is Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. Now on one level I get this ending. It makes sense. After all, at this point in time, Jesus is only 12 He's still just a relatively young boy. He hasn't even been baptised yet. And so, of course, the Holy Spirit hasn't come down on him and empowered him. And so it makes sense that he's obedient to his father. It makes sense he goes back to Nazareth with Joseph and Mary. It makes sense that he obeys them. But doesn't this just seem weird? We've just seen that Jesus enjoys a level of relationship with God that's absolutely unprecedented that he's got an intensely intimate relationship with Yahweh, the God of the temple, the creator. And yet he willingly returns home and submits to Joseph and Mary. Friends, when you think about it like that, isn't that surprising? Astonishing even? That the one who has had the most intimate connection with God ever willingly submits himself to Joseph, a carpenter, 
from Nazareth. Now, as a, as a kind of sub-point at this point, we ought to note that we can take great comfort and great encouragement from Jesus' example of submission here. You see, for the sake of his Father's glory, he willingly submitted himself to those God had placed in authority over them. He willingly submitted himself to Joseph and Mary, his parents. And so if you're committed to being a diligent, honest, hard-working employee, even when you're not being watched, if you strive to honour your boss and be content with your wages, then you ought to take great comfort from knowing that you're following the example of Christ. Or if you work hard every day to submit to your husband, to show him the honour and respect and love and support that's due to him as the head of your family, then good on you. Chances are it's not easy, but be encouraged. Keep going. Or perhaps you still live with your parents under their authority. If that's you, then please honour and respect your parents. Obey them. Love them. Uh, Be patient with them. Grow together with them. Your relationship with your parents has the, the potential to be one of the most rewarding relationships you'll ever have. Friends, whatever situation you find yourself in, respect whoever it is that God has put in authority over you. Submit to them and be encouraged. But remember, that's just a sub-point. You see, Jesus' submission to Joseph ought to do more than just comfort us. It ought to set alarm bells ringing somewhere in the back of our minds. You see, what's really going on here, what's really going on here is Jesus submitting to Joseph, his earthly father, out of obedience to his heavenly father. And this obedience to his heavenly father, his father's will is a, we, uh, sorry, is a theme whose echoes reverberate throughout the entire gospel. And of course, these echoes are concentrated in one point right near the end of Luke's gospel. Let's check it out. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Now, as we read this section, notice, if you will, how the intimacy between Jesus and his father leads to his absolute compulsion to submit to his father's will. So Luke chapter 22 and starting from verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Let me tell you, as close a bond as as my son Darius and I have, even after spending so much time together, after having so many experiences in common, as much as he is like me, there are just times when our wills do not match up. There are times when I expect one thing of him, but he determines to do something else completely different altogether. There are times when I expect him to to pack his toys up, come inside, wash his hands and get ready for dinner, but he determines to just keep jumping on the trampoline. You see, as close a bond as we have, 
as much as he's like me. Even though he's my son and I'm his father, we're two different people. Our wills just don't always mesh. You see, our relationship, it's just not at a level that's so intimate that he's absolutely compelled to obey my will. And really, that's not surprising. But friends, that's just not the case with Jesus and his father. You see, the natural outworking of their intimacy, it's submission. Their intimacy is so intense, so complete, that it leads to absolute respect, absolute agreement, absolute alignment with, with Jesus' absolute alignment with his father's purposes. Friends, this case of like father like son, it's so extreme, so completely overwhelming that the course of Jesus' entire life is determined by the fact that he's compelled to obey his father's will. In fact, Jesus has so completely aligned himself with his father's purposes that he willingly submitted to him even to the point of death on a cross. Isn't that wonderful? And perhaps, perhaps it should be a little bit humbling as well. A little bit of a reality check. You see, often we're so introspective, so inward looking, so self-centered that we can't get beyond the fact that Jesus died for me. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus certainly died for you. He certainly died for me and for all those who his father calls. But what Luke wants us to see here, what he wants us to marvel at and be amazed by, is that Jesus' primary motivation, his primary motivation for enduring the cross, was obedience to his father's will. It's because Jesus is so intensely intimate with his Father, it's because they're so inseparably united that he's absolutely compelled to obey his Father. It's because of that that he's he's compelled to obey his Father even to the point of enduring the absolute horror and humiliation and pain of crucifixion. Now, friends, isn't it exciting this morning that we can be privy to this relationship that Jesus enjoys with his Father? I hope by now you can see that we've really come full circle this morning. I hope you can see that what Luke really wants us to notice, what he really wants us to marvel at and be amazed by in this incident from Jesus' childhood is the intense intimacy that Jesus shares with his father. But you know, isn't it wonderful too that we can share in the great joy and abundant blessings and new life that that relationship brings? You see, as those who trust in Jesus... We're united to him. And so in a very real way, we too have an intense intimacy with God as our father. And of course, we ought to have an intense intimacy with one another as well. As members of the one body, as the church of Christ, as his bride. We ought to be so intimate with one another that we can't help but have one purpose. Friends, we ought to just be living life together, sharing life with one another. hanging out together, reading the Bible and praying as a normal thing. We ought to be going out of our way to encourage and comfort one another, to share meals together, to remind one another of the intense intimacy that Jesus shared with his Father. And of course, to excite one another about that great day when we too will share fully in an intimate relationship with God, our Father. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, those words take on a new meaning after this passage from Luke, that we can call you Father. Thank you that we've been able to think about the intense intimacy that you shared with your son, Jesus. And we thank you that that led him to be absolutely compelled to obey you, even to the point of death on a cross. And we just wonder at that, Father. And we thank you too for the amazing blessings that that brings for us, that we too can be united with Christ and share a relationship with you as our Father, that we can have new life, forgiveness of sins, We pray that you'll help us to enjoy our relationship with you, Father, and with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.